You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Welcome to the MXU podcast, episode 27. My name is Grace Royce, and I'm here with my friends Jeff and Lou. What's up? Howdy. Man, we are so excited that you're here, Grace. For those of you who are longtime listeners, we um, are adding Grace as our third host for the podcast. She's backed by popular demand, and we just decided, you know what? We're just going to make her a permanent part of what we're doing here because we just love what she has to say, and the perspective that she brings is just so fresh, and you guys have responded so well to what she has said in the past that we've just decided to make it a permanent part of what we're doing. What an honor. I'm freaking out, and that's what I hope we get to talk about today. <laughs> I just wanted to hang out with a pirate more often. You're the only actual pirate that I know that has a boat. You guys got to come sailing. Oh, we're gonna, that's awesome. Oh, we're going to talk I mean, about baby boat. That's for sure. What is your boat's name? Well, um, my friends call her the little yellow ducky, but she comes from uh, a long line of sailors. And actually the guy that owned her before me wrote a sailing magazine. And so she already had the name outlaw. So I've decided <laughs> I'm just going to. Sounds about right for a pirate. <laughs> right? Come on. And, and really the whole reason I bought the boat in a lot of ways, you know, is um, I, I consider myself a little bit of an outlaw. I decided I didn't want to get wrapped into another you know, rental situation. And I was really aiming for some financial goals that I knew I had to, to make some short-term decisions that lined up with the, those long-term goals. And, and that meant camping in a marina for a couple of years. And it's turned out to be the most fun ever. My logbook is just full of roadie signatures. Like, seriously, I got to thank Every single person who was brave enough to get on that boat with me before I was licensed. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, one of my girls, I'm just going to tell on her real quick. Like, she, my girl Colleen, who'd never been sailing before, she's like answering a phone call. She's doing it in advance. And she's like, uh, we're in a six foot swell coming into the marina. And she caught a wave. She's, I go, are you good? You want me to take over? And she's like, no, I'm fine. I got it. And I just, I wish I, I got to send you guys a picture of her. She's just like holding the steering wheel, talking on the phone. There's big old wave behind her, just completely fearless, you know? And so, you know, that's kind of what I'm hoping to talk about today. And, and what we've been chatting about earlier in the week is just like how we, how we get through having that big wave behind us. We take on a lot of responsibility in, in the job roles that we're taking on and, and how do we keep our head about us. Yeah, and that's timely. You know, for a lot of our listeners, it's Christmas. So mm -hmm. anyone who works in church right now, today's December 18th. So we're a week away from Christmas. So this is right in the thick this of it. This is crunch time. I'm, yeah. lo I'm loading into the uh, art center tomorrow. You know, for our church, yeah. too. And Lee, last night, you just had the first of, what is it, 14 Christmas services? Uh -huh. Yeah, 14 at that venue that aren't weekend services. So we have... Yeah, so that doesn't even count the multi-campus actual weekend services. That's just the Christmas specials. Yeah, I think there's like 48 total. But that's 14 that I'm doing. So we, we split the team up this year, mm -hmm. which was smart. So we have like our weekend campus team and the event team, so... We do get days off this year, so it's not like Black Friday till Christmas Day is a marathon anymore. Yeah, which is nice, but but yeah. So I got two more shows tonight. Wow, that's great! And then my Christmas season is actually light because my real sort of wave doesn't start until New Year's, which is the Passion Conference, which I'll be a part of starting on the 29th through January 2nd. And so this year we're going to be at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and it's, I mean, round the clock. It's sound checks in the middle of the night, and then sessions all day, and it's it's going to be a crazy few days. So um, we're hoping to have actually the guys who put that all together on the podcast in January to, to just kind of debrief and talk about the, mm -hmm. the event, give us a rig rundown and all that. So that'll be exciting. But, you know, between the three of us, we've all got tons of stuff coming up. So this... Um, this topic could not be more timely. Awesome. That's awesome. So, Grace, what else have you been up to lately? Last we heard from you, you were 
coming off some festivals and just got done with the Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, some big festivals and uh, yeah, did give in to doing a tour. I had a friend call and ask about uh, uh, about me filling in and, and taking on a project and, and getting back on a tour bus for a few weeks. And, you know, those those debrief meetings are so vital. We learn so much about ourselves and and you know, I was talking to Jeff uh, yesterday, and we were discussing maybe some questions that we could ask each other and kind of figure out, you know, what we'd learned over 2019. Really, you know, of course we get better at our gigs, but you know, what are we learning about ourselves and our default mode? In our last conversation, we talked about how important it is to know what your default mode is when it gets rough. So, you know, ha- having that conversation, I think, would be really great. Um, what do you think about uh, answering some of those questions? The I think that's three a great that we idea. talked about. Are you putting yeah. me in the hot seat right now? Is that what's happening? Well, yep. I, was, I was thinking so. Uh, <laughs> really, the the three questions that I proposed to Jeff were number one: uh, What is your idea of success? How do you know when you've won? Number two: uh, What we what we decide. Um, Scrolling. I think it was when was the last time you've totally lost your cool? Yeah, and how did you how did you handle the after effects or or you know what you needed to handle after you lost your cool? And number three, how do you manage your up? And and for people that aren't familiar with that term, it means like how do you approach your superior, your boss, your manager, your director with your needs? That's great. And I think for a lot of our listeners, that question is a huge one because most of most most church production people have some level of authority, but they're not the final say so for most of what they're responsible for. And so leading up, you know, how to lead when you're not the final say is is a huge challenge for a lot of people. So I think these questions are going to be great. So Lee, how do you define success for yourself? What is your win in your own mind oh my gosh um i'm gonna put this through the christmas filter because that's i'm in the throes of it right now okay. so i you know it's changed i'm mixing this show but the success for this isn't like everybody thinking thinking it sounds good it's how's the rest of the team doing that's what i'm thinking about now it's is morale up it's what's everybody gonna remember in August about this past Christmas? What are those feelings? What When we start planning next year's Christmas and get into those meanings, what are the emotions in the room going to be like? Are they going to be looking forward to it? Or are they going to be thinking about how poorly it went or how they felt? So success for me is how's the rest of the team doing? Like I, I'm confident enough in my skills and have worked closely enough with the band that it's going to sound fine. But this year it's more about um, looking through the other end of the telescope, like looking through the small end out to five years from now. Like, so what do so good. What are we doing now as a team to ensure that five years from now, things are just keep getting better. So that's, you know, it, that's anything from making sure volunteers are taken care of, making sure the rest of the crew feels valued and appreciated. Like I had a guy last night who's absolutely crushing it. He is just phenomenal and was beating himself up over two not even mistakes. Like he he reached over my shoulder twice in the show and he was like, "Ah, oh, sorry, sorry about this and sorry about that." And I cannot tell you how petty they were. Like it was like I kind of giggled. I was like, "Dude, are you kidding?" But then after the show, I could see the look on his face that he was disappointed that that, that happened. Wow. And I looked at him and there were some other people in the room and I did this on purpose. I said, "Your bar for your own joy is way too high." It's like you are robbing yourself of the joy we all experience working with you because your own standards are too high. Man, that'll and preach. He, he just was like, he was a bit floored by it. But I could tell it's like, you know, you got to like look through the other end of the telescope. Don't look through the big end into something too small that you can't see. Look through, look through the other end and look, look way out in front. That's good. So it, it seems like, that perspective only comes through a lot of experience because most people 
sitting in the hot seat, mixing Christmas, are thinking only about how it sounds. So what has that journey been like for you? Because I know there was a time in your life when you were probably way more concerned about the snare drum and the vocal (laughs) than you are about the people around you. So how did that shift over time? Or was there a was there a moment for you that that kind of changed or is that just a gradual progression? I think it's gradual and I think it's everything you said. It's time, experience, repetition. And, you know, when when I started mixing here at this church, these Christmas shows, I was 25. Now I'm 35. So, you know, it's just 10 years of that. And, yeah, you know, I, I think everything in your life molds you into what you are. Like that's that's an obvious statement, but if you really think about it, it's all of your experiences, your relationships, your interactions, how you see yourself, how you see others, all of that stuff. And then probably one of the bigger things is things that were important to me as a 25 year old aren't important anymore. It's the things you value really change, but I think you have to go on your own journey of discovering in yourself, those things that really matter. And it's not how good the kick drum sounds. Now, listen, that snare drum last night was awesome. Okay. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on that snare drum this week. Yeah. But that's how I, that's like that personal fulfillment of like my art and my craft. Right. And then there's a whole leadership side too, you know? So it's both. You can't just walk up to the console and just phone it in. Like that's, a, there's a lot of work going into that. And I'm totally, and I feel like I'm, I hope that I'm mixing as best as I ever have been, but it's not the priority. It's, it's people and it's, and then it's also, it's the people in the room experiencing the event. But if the team is all having a great time and everything's going well and, and everything's firing on all cylinders, then the experience of the people will come naturally. So I don't, I'm also concerned about the people in the room, but for me, it's more, how's everyone else doing? That's really good. Well, I think for the young guys who are listening now, you know, I think this could be just the main takeaway that they need from this episode is it has to be both right it's not it's not either or it's not binary it's neither is mutually exclusive it has to be that you pay attention to the craft and the people and that that both of those things build on each other and man the younger you can learn that lesson the better because i know there are a lot of people who are just not doing this anymore because they got burned by making the skill part the only part and then the relationship side completely let them and everybody around them down and they either got burnt out or got fired or got, you know, everybody else around them got pissed off and couldn't stand to work with them anymore. And that, that goes across the whole industry. That's not just church. That's right. That's a lesson for anybody in the industry. Okay. How'd I do? I thought that was amazing. (laughs) Gosh, good. That was a lot of pressure. So, Grace, how would you answer the same question? What is your measure for success for yourself? Well, you all know that I think that this question is invaluable. You know, if you're not taking the time to sit down and put pen to paper about what you really fundamentally believe success is, where is that win for you that you're drifting and you're in the whims of the world and what others will ultimately choose for you? And I, I know that. Um, being handcuffed to a gig that I didn't choose um, does not sound like a win to me. So I think it's important to narrow down what we really want. Um, Answering this question will also help us set values and understand our values so that we will be more sturdy when it gets tough. It's not like it doesn't get tough. It literally gets tough every gig. So, you know, you got to know what, where those values are. And I, I think the best way to start this conversation for me is going to be to quote one of my favorite leaders. Uh, Colin Powell says in his book on leadership, never let your ego get so close to your position that when your position goes, your ego goes with it. So avoiding, let's examine that. If money is my measure of success, if I lose a bunch of it, am I going to feel like a complete loser? If fame or working for famous people is my measure of success, am I likely to fall into a depression if my favorite rock star fires me for a tech problem or a new person is chosen for the gig because of their social connections in the camp? You know, how do, 
how do I feel good about my gig? And is it only when it goes perfectly? Is it only when it's publicly televised? Is it only when I'm mixing for a crowd over 100,000 people or I get to do all the staffing, choose everyone on my team? Like, that's ego. We can clearly see that if we, if we take those things out of the equation, if we remove those things, we would be unhappy if that's where we based our value. And we all know people like this. We know people who are completely miserable when things don't go their way. My, my heart breaks for that guy because I, I've done that to myself so many times, <laughs> you know, where you beat yourself up about not getting it perfectly right. But if, if, you, if you can lay out what your values are, it makes it a whole lot easier when you are in the fire, when you're disappointed in yourself, when you have um, a correction to make, an apology to make, or an action to take that is hard. You know? And I could not have gotten to these answers without having mentors, so seriously, go get some. You have to, have to, have to know people who have what you want. I don't know how in God's green earth you would figure out where you want to go in life if you hadn't have an idea of what you want. So. I look for people that, you know, they, they have the life I want. They have the, um, my number one uh, success is, is freedom. You know, those, those mentors, they have a freedom to their life that when I look at them, I think that's what I want. You know, so number one, I write down freedom. If I'm having a hard time just making a decision about a gig or something within a gig, I remember that my fundamental value about what success means to me is do I have the freedom in this situation? I'm very slow to consider any gig that tries to steal me then at any price because, you know, money is not my biggest value. So any, any of the biggest paychecks won't have me abandon in another project. And if it's not fame and, and having famous clients, then dropping one client for a bigger client for a more famous person is not going to happen. And you can, I can give you loads of examples of how this has actually happened in my career. You know, jumping over a long-term value right now for a short-term gain is not going to do you any good. Um, you, you brought up the little boat, you know, I, I'm, I've made choices in the short term that will ultimately lead to the freedom that my mentors are experiencing. And the most common question I get from young people is how do I quit my time-consuming J-O-B that I hate yeah. for, for a career that I love? And you're going to cringe when I ask to review your bank statements. Yep. Living a life that looks good on social media is completely unsustainable. And are you willing to buy discount clothes? Are you willing to add a roommate to share expenses? Are you willing to live a less glamorous life right now to pursue the real goal with like every ounce of your pennies? You know, and I and I can tell you in a few bank statements what you're truly invested in. And I'm not saying everybody can live on a boat in a marina while they build their dream. But I would urge everyone to consider opportunities to cut down on expenses. And my favorite example of that is the latte fun. You know, if you're a coffee drinker like I am, you probably spend too much money at a coffee shop. Get an AeroPress. Tastes better <laughs> anyway. And in a couple months, you're going to be hundreds of dollars up. And you, don't, you can't tell me that that won't lo lower your stress so that you can concentrate on again for me it's freedom that means financial freedom i choose to make investments and moves with my money that my mentors did and and it's it's foregoing short term gratification for a long term benefit i watched them make those sacrifices and they pulled ahead in the long run so, That's so you know good. i do the same thing what are you willing to give up how are you willing to invest your energy so that you can ultimately have total freedom that's something we don't talk about much, but it's so, I don't, we should talk about finances more because the top 1% of people that do what we do make enough money to have like success. You know what I mean? Like 
people just getting into this in church on the road, you don't make any money. And I hear that question too. It's how do I go on the road and how do you start touring? And then I always ask them, I'm like, well, what's your monthly expenses? Like, yeah. Can you get them down to zero? Could you put all your stuff in storage? Yes. Yes. Yes, you could. Could you rent a room from somebody closer to the airport or whatever it is? Yep. Yeah, you can. Is it going to stink? Mm, it might stink for a couple, six months, but you're going to be doing what three years from now? Are you going to remember that time? You're probably right. going to remember it fondly. I can tell you I'm on my deathbed. I'm not going to look back and be like, man, that was such a waste. She lived on a boat for a couple of years. Like I, I told you it was so much fun. I got so many roadies to come get on that boat with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. What would it look like if you pocketed every penny of your per diem? Oh my God. What gosh. would it look like if you, if you didn't have anything because your meals were being provided for you every day yeah. and you were just on the road constantly living on a bus if you had no expenses, what would that look like? My little, I'm going to just call her out right now. My little photographer on tour, you know, she's young and she's from a different country and she was spending all her PDs. And um, I just watched the look on her face when I told her that that is taxable income. It's not like free money. Yeah. I mean, it. that's part of your page. You know, she just, the, the, the sinking look on her face, like, oh no, I spent my own money. Like, yeah, I handed it to you. Who did you think it was? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, the, the other couple points I'd love to hit about what a success win is for me is, like you said, looking around yourself at your team. And maybe I should have put this one first because um, you, you're not going to get anywhere without them. But a, a win for me is having solid humans around me. And uh, you're not going to get far with shit company excuse my French, you know, you, you're, you may get to the top of something, but it, I promise it's not going to be of your choosing. And we all know people that are willing to trample over other people to get what they want. But if you're like me and you ultimately want good people around you, you're not going to let an untrustworthy person in your inner circle, no matter how much of a career boost you think they'll give you in the short term, you know? And, um, my favorite, mentor and human uh, trusted me this year. I, this is probably a big win for me, actually, because, you know, there's no 401k or paternity leave in our world. And, and my mentor had his first child. And what an honor to get to fill in for him on a couple megastar performances. And, you know, you'd think he would trust me with that if I was in the habit of letting crummy people around me and right. <clears throat> develop a reputation for being untrustworthy. Like, one bad apple will ruin the whole bunch. And whether you like it or not, the industry is always going to judge you on the company you keep and lump you in with your network. So are they solid humans? And I know for a fact I'm successful because I look around at the company I keep. You know, yeah. even even on a weekday where you're like, man, I just don't feel that great. You know, you look around and you're like, man, my support team's pretty awesome, though. They might think that I know what's going, you know, like they'll they'll give you that confidence when you need it, you know. And I think more so than most industries, I mean, I don't want to overstate this, but I think reputation matters way more than resume in sort of getting asked to do more and more things. Right. I think... When, when, I, when I hear about people talking about who's going to be the next hire, they're not just looking for a run sheet of who you've mixed for. They're calling the friends that know you from friends who are in that camp to go, okay, how is this person to work with? How are they on the bus? How are they on a day off? Are they a good hang? Is it going to be just a pain to have them around? That that matters to a TM, I think, a lot more than just who they've mixed for in the past or who they've been the patch guy for or who they've been the tech for. You know, we, um, we, we ran into it several times this year with Daigle where it was, you know, some of the team was transitioning and there was some turnover. And most of the conversations were about the kind of person this person was that might be coming in, not how good they were at what they did. And that that's that's a huge thing. And that's all ego anyway. If I run down a list of all the famous people that I worked with this year, um, 
you know, that, that's just ego. And, and that, that brings me to, to what I think is my, you know, also real important measure of a win is, is wearing a confidence cape and not an ego crown. You know, I, I did recently do a mega, mega star at a mega, mega show, and I'm completely tempted to stroke my own ego about how famous and how rich they are and how important they said I was and how many people would see us on TV. But as I sit here to reevaluate the experience, my most proud moment of the entire event was my ability to problem solve a seemingly impossible request from a star who is not going to accept no as an answer anyway. And, you know, as, as a PM, isn't the answer always let me find out how much money it'll cost or how many people it'll take? Like, yeah, the answer is always like, yeah, I'll, I'll work it out. And I, I take great pride in being a lead problem solver. Um, but still six months later, I'm thinking about the gig and why was that moment so important to me? And it's not because of their praise. It's because my confidence cape gets another stitch in it. You know, I'm now trusting of myself to be able to handle some really big situations. Um, and, and, and having that, that confidence is is you can't poke holes in it the way you can an ego and ego is always worried about being found out, um, about, you know, failing. And I think the, the most memorable moment other than being successful for that project was watching that mega stars PM. There was just this amazing professionalism just super straightforward, real easy to work with. Something happened right around showtime. There was like a change in the look in the eyes. There was the way they spoke and moved. I mean, even the walk was different. And I was like, what is going on? You know? And I realized like, oh, the cape is on, you know, like any pre-performance or, or sports game, like we, we do need to pump ourselves up. And why do we need to do it? You know, honestly, because if the reality of the hundred thousand people, you know, that bought tickets or the hundreds of employees leaning on us or that megastar that's really like ready to devour our souls, should we fail anyway? You know, <laughs> like if that reality were to sink in, we might not be brave enough or big enough to like go out into the ring. Why do fighters pick a song? Why do football players learn a chant? Why do gold medalists over and over attest to envisioning the win before it happens? Because we need to believe and have faith in our success. And most importantly, for just a minute, for that walk from backstage through the security thrust to front of house, those 100 feet, I need to believe that I'm not going to fail. I need to take my eyes off of the possibility of failure. I call it like the pole on the street example. You know, you're trying not to drive into the pole and it's been proven over and over. People always steer towards what they're looking at. You know, you gotta, you gotta think about like not letting those insecurities poison your progress. Like your, like your friend, he at, at church, he's so fearful of getting it wrong. He's so distracted. He actually gets it wrong. You know, they're flailing. And a deep breath and a little confidence goes a long way. But you can see where this is a pivotal moment to teach confidence over ego. You know that. Man, that's that, such a great distinction. That I love cape that. Cape is completely necessary. So when you were telling me the story the other day about this particular gig, you referred to this person, this PM on the gig, as a superhero. Yeah. And you described this moment of when she put on the cape. And then when she took it off, so talk about the taking off moment, because it was like during the show, it was one thing. And then this other person reemerged mm -hmm. after that moment, yeah. there was a completely different level of kindness and softness and just, it, it changed, changed back into the Clark Kent, I guess. You of, saw it immediately. Of the moment. When that limo door closed and Megastar drove away you're you're seeing the real man again the real woman the 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 pressure 
you know, not that person that defied gravity and could handle the pressure and come out on top, but a thoughtful, realistic, secure person who managed to defy the symptoms of imposter syndrome, you know, like we all have those insecurities that we could fail, um, and, and being distracted by that possibility could actually lead to failure. Your gig wrapped around the pole. You know, success to me is that honest confidence. And the problem is if it's just ego-based, then the cape never comes off. Yeah. And that person, the real person, never comes back. Yeah. And that's what can be toxic and really burn the people around you. Well, an ego is telling you you're good when you're not, right? Ego is pumping you up and... And and trying to trying to make you into something you're not. Remember what the cape is actually made out of is is like Lee said, the experience. He now has the experience of his past success. He has full self awareness of his strengths and his weaknesses, and he knows that he can get out there and do it. He also knows that you know ego is no use to us if this gig goes south anyway. <laughs> you know confidence is peaceful when it gets difficult, when it all starts to come down around you, like, you know, you can handle it. <clears throat> One of my favorite sayings is how do you eat an elephant a bite at a time? If, if, if I were trying to do the whole Super Bowl myself, I would melt. That's not something anybody should take on. You know, you, we all, we all need each other. Thank goodness there are people there. You've put good people around you and you can trust that, you know, that you guys are all going to hold it together. They got you. Your past experiences got you. And, you know, to me, what's that dialogue like that, that walk from back of house to front of house? Like I try not to let it get toxic. You know, I, I tell myself like, you're going to give these kids a really good time, you know, wait till the techs feel my kick drum, <laughs> you know, you yeah. get that rush of the wind, uh, that first, that first scream after the first song ends. And, you know, my kick snare hat is going to blow their minds. And often right before, you know, you go on stage, like you read something that makes sense to you. You listen to a song that pumps you up and, and gets you feeling good. That's awesome. So Grace, when does your leadership book come out? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, seriously, I know, you know, nothing I'm saying here is nuclear and I don't claim any authority or any author on any of this stuff. Like I, I love reading leadership books and I love having the conversations that we're having. You know, I don't, we didn't really have those conversations when I was in school. My mentors were pretty stoic and kind of tough to read and you know, I think that being more approachable and taking the cape off, like I let my kids see me like that. You know, I did a, I did a festival in Tucson recently and I, I had cape on, I was ready to go. Someone came to me with something that wasn't quite timingly appropriate, told them time's not right. You know, walked out to front of house, did my thing and then came back and cape off you know, let's talk about it and let them ask me some questions. It's awesome. It's so good. Well, I think, you know, we talk about this a lot, but I think it's just worth repeating that none of this happens without a clearly defined picture of the when and the why. And I think for so many people, just taking the time, like you said, pen to paper, writing down those things that for you are the non-negotiable measures of success. It's just such a huge sort of filter that you can use, a grid that you can use to measure everything, you know? And so whatever it is in your life, whether it's your job or your money or your relationships or your time, all of those things need to have this filter through which we can measure what we're doing. Cause otherwise we just, it's too easy to get distracted. It's too easy to get it pulled in the wrong direction. It's too easy to make bad choices. Um, we're still going to make mistakes, obviously, and we'll probably make bad choices along the way. But to make sure that what we're doing is pointing toward a clear spot on the horizon, man, it makes the journey so much straighter and easier. I wish I had known it when I was 25. What's on your list, uh, Jeff? Do you, do you have a couple top three things that you think of? For success, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of mine, honestly, have been, we've already defined a lot of it. I think for me, it really, 
does become about the audience experience. For a long time, it was my perception of how things were sounding in the PA. But especially in worship, and working with a lot of worship artists, there was a shift that happened about halfway through my Tomlin tenure where I just got comfortable with this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm here every night, so I'm experiencing this. And so I'm, I'm worshiping every night because I'm just, I'm just here. And so somehow it's going to take hold and be absorbed. And, you know, and it was as if God just kind of hit me over the head and said, you know, worship by proxy is not what I've called you to do. How is what you're doing affecting the experience of the people around you? So it was literally a shift where I started literally finding a person down at the end of the row, a guy who looked like he was there because his wife dragged him. And he was, you know, started the show, arms folded, just kind of there because he was kind of brought there by his family. So what could I do during my process to maybe help him open up a little bit? Is there any way I could make him sort of become less guarded or unfold his arms or, heaven forbid, even sing along? And if I could bring him from one place to another throughout the course of the night, I felt like I would be more in line with not only what God wanted from me, but what Chris and the guys on stage were trying to communicate through what they were doing. So it changed for me from just sort of me trying to figure out the best way to make the drum sound great to truly partnering with the artist to facilitate an experience for people that was, um, you know, worthwhile and worshipful and engaging. And that, you know, it may not have changed much about the mix, but just the awareness of the emotional component of what was going on was a huge kind of shift for me in terms of just paying attention to the people around me. Um, and being aware, is there anything that's distracting? Is there anything that is maybe pulling their attention away from, um, you know, what was trying to be communicated through the song? And that little shift, I think more than anything um, that I could have done in a, a compressor setting or an EQ or whatever, just that, that different level of attention did more to change the experience, I think, than anything. So that was always you know, that became a huge filter for me of, okay, how are the people around me, you know, that I can see from front of house, how are they experiencing and engaging with what's happening from the stage? So that's amazing. We forget there are other people there, don't we? <laughs> right. Totally. It's, e it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. You get so caught up in like, how's this parallel compression or how's this you know, you're a lighting guy. I can't wait till song four when the second chorus hits so everyone sees this look I make. You know, it's, you get so caught up in that and then you forget, like, what are people going home feeling? No matter what you're doing, whether it's church or it's the Super Bowl or anything, it's all about creating, creating those environments and experiences that are remarkable. Street to seat experience, right? From the minute yeah. they get out of their cars every single team that comes in contact with them is important it is and we we kind of forget i don't know about you but i don't i don't go to a lot of concerts i'm not working <laughs> <laughs> right no i'm not gonna pay good money to see a show are you kidding me <laughs> no hey there speaking of that rabbit trail here there is something that i think i may get on an airplane to go see okay. this um american utopia on broadway have you guys seen this no. So the singer of the Talking Heads has taken the Talking Heads music and made a Broadway show out of it. All right. So we're going to be in New York after New Year's? Right. Well, uh, will we? I don't know. <laughs> I think we should. Let's go. Yeah, it's, I'm hearing from credible sources, it's the best sounding thing they've ever heard. And it's the most unique visual thing they've seen in a concert. It's not and like... Is it David Byrne who did it, or somebody else adapted the music? No, David Byrne is in the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure it's hyper-creative. Yeah. Like, just the pictures in YouTube, like, I, I watched a couple, and then I stopped, because I went, okay, I'm going to go there and see this, and I, I want to be surprised. It looks All right. amazing. 
I'm in. It makes you Christmas presents for us. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> awesome. Who's their PM? We're, we're coming after him with these questions. Oh, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Go get that guy. Well, this next question is probably my favorite. I've gotten to do some holiday parties this year, um, a couple of different organizations, and uh, I like to spread this one around. It, it makes for really good stories. Jeff, do you want to start this? When was the last time you lost your cool, and how did you handle it afterwards? Man, I was I was thinking about this ever since we talked about it the other day, and I, I am not a person who does that very often. Honestly, I, I'm very like, I'm motivated by (laughs) avoiding conflict. And everybody would say that I am highly diplomatic and a peace, full peace filled, whatever person. So it's hard for me to think of like, when did I actually like blow up at somebody? And I get frustrated. Like if, if I'm frustrated with somebody, I'll internalize it. Right. Um, and so I typically don't explode. Um, and that's not always a virtue though. No, it's definitely not. (laughs) That's, that's my problem is there, there are a lot of times where I should be more direct and more confrontational because it's, it's not good for me for sure for my internal stress level and blood pressure and all that to just internalize. Um, let's see. You'll have to come back to me cause I, I need to come up with an, uh, on the golf course example. you just throw a sand wedge. I I'm too good of a golfer to really <laughs> need to throw my clubs. That's amazing. Oh, that's, Lee, that's what funny. about you? Do you remember the last time you lost your yeah, pool? On a last gig? week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do, please do tell on yourself. But this wasn't on a gig, though. It was on my wife. Oh. That's the worst. Right. Yeah, it is, because because things weren't going well at work. That's where it came from. And it was, you know, uh, we had an evening off. I'd probably been in rehearsal all day, and we were going to take the kids to go see Christmas lights. And we have a new puppy, and things at work are crazy right now. And just, it was like, hustle, hustle, hustle. I'm behind on stuff. And then she grabs the kids and she's in the car in the garage waiting on me, which already bothered me. So I get in the car and just said some terrible things that I should not have said and her in dad, front of the kids in front of her dad and the kids. Oh, oh gosh. You know, I, it wasn't like name calling. I don't do that, but it was like, I was just a freaking jerk. So luckily she's awesome. And didn't put me in my place like she could have and should have. But it that that was the last time because the next day I you know, she was being quiet and I knew I was like, crap. So when the time was appropriate, I was like, Hey, totally screwed up, brought work home, blew up on you, went and told the kids, apologized to them for doing it in front of them. Cause you don't ever want to do that. I'm like, it just feels horrible to do that. So that was my last one. Best thing about getting it wrong is we have the opportunity to be stretched and grown in a better direction. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So mine, anytime that it, when it, when it happens to me, it's, it's kind of the opposite of blowing up. Like I lose my cool, but I don't explode. I'll, like I said, I'll internalize. And so for me, it always shows up at home. Like if, in other words, something will be simmering under the surface or I'll, I'll be internalizing something and then something will happen with Liz and some, you know, I won't blow up, but we'll have this interaction or confrontation and she'll, she is one to want to address it right away and talk about it and figure it out. And I'll just sort of you know, clam up and walk away. And then, you know, the response is like, well, okay, then we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. And then hours later of silence, it's like, oh crap. Okay. Sorry, babe. And I'm having to go in and apologize. And then the conversation is always about on my side going, okay, I've got to own it. I've got to, you know, I was wrong. I was, you know, and 
it's like, how many times do you have to do this before you actually learn (laughs) not to be an idiot? I I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Grace, what about you? Well, not so long ago I was on site and there is a main stage timing issue. An act had gone over their slot and a co-headliner was backstage just flipping out. So upon arriving to the scene and talking to my techs and my stage manager, uh, I realized, well, I did, I, I made, I made the mistake of going backstage first and I did what I thought was the right thing to diffuse the situation by kind of telling the tour manager what had happened. But, um, I just got like completely verbally attacked by this very upset tour manager, you know, and I think it's helpful to remember that no one attacks you unprovoked. Right. Not, not that while we're adrenalized, we have time to think about like, what's this guy's problem? You know, but um, he was trying to demonstrate power at my expense in front of his artist. He needs to look like he's doing something and making this happen, you know. Um, and I know that reciprocal attacks get us nowhere, but I did end up, um, you know, yelling at him and kind of going toe to toe. And, um, you know, I talked to my my team on on deck and it turned out that you know I had made very clear instructions about what I expected from the next few changeovers gone to check on the next stage and when I came back it turns out that they had gone rogue and just kind of made their own decision they didn't see the value in what I was saying or why I was saying it and so they decided to make their own choice and and it was near you know show stopping in one way or another And, um, so we were kind of at the stalemate and, you know, I could sit there for hours and defend my texts to this tour manager. I could, I could yell at the texts, you know, without, you know, going toe to toe with him. I, I feel like I did have every reason to be upset. Um, but there, the best reasoning, whether it be tech or, or staffing or whatever, is always going to come off as an excuse, no matter what, right or wrong. Right. You know, arguing about the past is a complete waste of time. And, um, you know, I needed to get jumping right into problem solving. So I got up on stage, I cleared the deck, I did a line check, and we resumed schedule. We actually ended up at the end of all this, fast forward, we ended up early. So all of this drama was just completely avoidable, you know, and I did end up needing to apologize to one of my techs, uh, even though, you know, he was in, in the wrong on the technical part of things. I walked up and immediately got into kind of a chest bumping blame game about like, why would you disrespect me and not listen to me? You know, now I've got this angry TM again, delivering nearly too much information to the tech sounds like excuses delivering too much information to the TM. It just sounds like excuses, even though they're really good ones in our heads, right? Literally no one cares if you just got off an 18 hour flight and your wife back home's mad at you or whatever's going on in your personal life you know, you guys are talking about these little mini explosions you're you're holding in at work. Some of us, you know, it's the reverse where we've got, you know, maybe you didn't get enough sleep or you're sick or um, you're doing two people's jobs because someone didn't show up to the gig or whatever it is. And, and you're really kind of strung thin. So I did end up apologizing to the tech. But the funny thing is he chose not to accept literally in uh, the green room tent decided to also like verbally attack me. And, you know, after just kind of reviewing the situation and where, where I had some control, I had no control over a tech that decides to not listen to their higher up. And I have no control over a really stressed out team. TM and team who might have blown up at me if the crackers weren't in the right place. We don't really know what their situation is, you know, and I let being insulted rule me. Um, and it could have been show stopping. You know, I do believe that if you're wasting in time engaging in conflict, instead of offering solutions, you're not doing anybody any favors. Well, that's awesome. So he didn't 
you went to apologize and he didn't even want to hear it. It just kept going. My tech. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. You know? And so, well, I, I hope at some point we have a chance to work with each other again. Uh, but you know, in my mind, there's a level of trust that was broken in both directions, you know, but I did come to him and humble myself and be like, man, I really screwed up. I could have handled that a lot better, you know? Um, but like I said, I, I like getting the opportunity to actually put into practice the things that I'm learning on a regular basis. That's awesome. Okay. Last one. How do you lead up? Jeff? Man, we talk, we talk about this a lot around here. I think, um, you know, people need to understand there's a fundamental principle about leadership that leadership really isn't only about authority. It's about influence. And I think at whatever level of um, authority you are on the org chart or the totem pole or whatever, you still have the opportunity and the power to have influence in whatever realm you're operating. So um, whether you're kind of the A2 patch guy on a tour or whether you're, you know, a volunteer sound person at church or the, the TD at a church or the, the TM on a huge tour, you're still probably not the final, final, final say in, in the, the situation. So, um, you know, for me, understanding that, um, leadership is about influence is sort of a key component to understanding how to influence the people above you on the, in the chain, so to speak. Um, so I think part of it is honestly just doing a, doing a great job where you're planted and realizing that there are things and probably people that you are responsible for, um, in your sphere. So, you know, doing that with, with excellence and with kindness and with humility, um, those, those things are going to get noticed by the people around you and above you. And all of a sudden your opinion will start to carry more weight. And, you know, you might get asked, Hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, you can hopefully provide a, a humble, thoughtful answer to, to those questions so that it's not trying to sort of barge in with, well, I've got, I've got a better way to run this ship and you guys need to listen to me because my ideas are super important. I think it's really, it's most effective when you can lead through trying to leverage your influence and sort of increasing the sphere of influence through relationship. Um, but it's hard, you know, it, for some people who really do have ideas and opinions that feel unheard for a long time, you know, it happens in church a lot. Um, you know, this sort of the worship team and the production team being two separate things and how, you know, production is seen as more of a sort of maintenance staff rather than a creative component of what we're doing. I think it's easy for those guys to feel frustrated and to get, you know, this sort of beaten down kind of, um, perspective. So, you know, it's a tough question, but I think, um, you know, just trying to build influence wherever you can is, is a huge first step. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 I think you're totally right. It's at the highest level. I think it is influence. I think you you nailed it. It's not really about doing a good job so that you get more power. It's it's not that at all. It's you know the old leadership books John Maxwell wrote. A lot of those things can come across really really cheesy, but man, it's true. It's leadership is influence, hundred yeah, well, percent. I think you know if and, and it's there's there's a 
there's a vulnerability too. I think when you look at, I mean, the greatest leader ever, when you look at Jesus, he had ultimate authority, right? Everything in heaven, on earth, under the earth was made by him, through him, for him. And yet he emptied himself and gave himself for us. And so there's this ultimate authority and ultimate vulnerability at the same time. So I think, you know, the more we try to be like that, we can't just think about the authority side without the vulnerability side. You know, the best leaders that we all know are people who serve first. I mean, think about, you know, the best pastors, the guys at Chick-fil-A, all of the, you know, even John Maxwell and his team, you know, the the gurus, so to speak, of leadership um, are all humble servants as well as great leaders. And so it's it's got to be both. It's awesome. Okay, me next. Go for it, Lee. Okay, I'm going to keep this short um, and just talk about a way that I'm doing this, like a specific way, and this is new for me. It's uh, tell the truth. <laughs> and and I don't mean don't lie. And here's what I'm saying. I may have mentioned this before recently, but it's it's been monumental for me. Um. I don't avoid conflict with strangers or people that I don't value their relationships with, but people that I do value relationships and my closest friends, I do avoid conflict. And because of that, I think I give them a different version of reality when conflicts happen. So if I need to talk to someone about something, the tone of it has been, to diffuse and withhold information that won't expose what could potentially be harder conversations. So I do that with people I work with, with my family, with everybody. And that's something I'm really working on is, no, there's a more truthful way to do that. And I also think sometimes withholding information can be a gift, right? So I'm not going to come home every day and just dump on my wife all the terrible things that are happening. I don't think that's good either. But I think you do, me personally, I need to do better at providing a more accurate picture of conflict to people that are close to me. Does that make sense? I'm still trying to work this out in my head, but it's just like, I have to think, okay, you know, Jake or my wife or, or whoever, Ray, I kind of rehearse, here's what I'm going to say about this. And then now I'm going, no, go one level deeper. How, how much more vulnerable and what details do they actually need to know? Even if it causes harder conversation later. And I think with people above you, that's really important because they need to have all the correct information to make the decisions that they need to make. And if I'm withholding info because it may prevent or it may cause a harder conversation or my job to be harder later, that's not fair to them or me. And you're really just giving yourself a hard time, right? Because we have this misconception that our managers and directors can read minds. Right. <laughs> yeah. But as you right. sit there stewing, you kind of build these resentments, unresolved issues and maybe a misallocation of resources like time or staffing or budget. Yep. Absolutely. Well, for me, uh, like I, I try to think of a couple examples, like maybe it's, um, maybe it's a vendor I'm interested in bringing in or, um, changing up a schedule or restaffing something, or maybe it's a gear purchase, you know, cause I think mm -hmm. we can all identify with that. Um, we're talking about items that would otherwise hinder your professional performance if unaddressed. So therefore vital in your site, maybe unnoticed by your higher up. So um, for me, this is a perspective where on a regular basis, I'm on both sides of this conversation. I'm, I'm being approached and I need to approach other people with things that are like show stopping, like, hey, man, I really got to take this on. You know, um, my number one piece of advice, uh, and I can't quite remember where I got this. I think I think I had somebody like reading a really, I had a really important email drafted, you know, I was going to send it to a higher up and it was really important. And a friend of mine said, 
take all these emotional words out of your language, you know? And I really took that to heart and have used mm. it all this time of my career. I, if you're writing things like, I would love a U47 for Christmas, you know, you're likely <laughs> to get a big laugh and also a response like, yeah, well, me too, wish in one hand and in the other, you know? And, um, you know, your director has a ton of factors to consider when they're putting together their performances. So they need more specific details anyway. So like what Lee's saying, like go on a level deeper. It's funny, but taking out the emotional words, like I love and I like, and I wish that offer no real tangible argument will actually force you to go deeper past just your preference. So if you're scanning your email for those, these emo words, you're going to find huge holes in your argument. If you can't say, I would love a U47, you have to say, I would blank a U40. Like, you got to start digging in. You got to explain to your director why the U47 is important, you know? That's really good, especially for churches. Like, a lot of churches have young people making decisions that aren't very experienced and have gigantic budgets. Mm. And it's like, well, what am I going to spend this on? Of course I'm going to buy an SD7, an SSL, and an Avid and put them all beside each other. <laughs> you know, we see that a lot. It's like, I mean, did you need that or did you did you just want that because you love it? Gosh. But especially when some of those conversations are happening with an executive pastor who needs to be shown the ROI or the real value or the that's only going to build influence if you can if you can build those sort of metrics into your argument all the better because then you're showing that person okay he really knows what he's talking about this isn't just a a wish list this isn't just a you know a pipe dream there's actual practicality behind it that's so good and like uh jeff was saying I love how you said barge in, or like I call it the side swipe, like you're walking down the hallway and this person is just like on top of you with this idea that you're springing on them. You're, you're almost being disrespectful by asking them to pivot their train of thought without any consideration. You know, if, if there isn't a production meeting that's appropriate for the topic, you need to show respect to your manager by requesting their time and mental energy. And, and it's not the 90s, so the, a phone call is considered a sideswipe these days. Like calling out of the blue and saying, hey, let's talk about this, gives them no time to gather their thoughts and really bring the info that you're asking them to bring to the table anyway. They need to have time to bring that equal side to the conversation. So if you want a better outcome about your U47, my recommendation is to make an email or if it's appropriate to your particular relationship, a text saying, you know, hey, Mr. Manager, do you have the time this week for a call or meeting to discuss, you know, insert description of topic, let's say option to bring an additional vendor in to support our audio team. I have an idea to offer that could streamline our team's vision. Give them a little blurb about not only are you requesting their time, but give them some idea of what you're asking them to contribute mental energy towards. You're showing them major respect by giving them a heads up on the topic and requesting their thoughts on it instead of demanding it or, you know, just kind of, you're not going to get the same results if you nudge them in the hallway. It's not going to happen. That's so good. Well, Grace, I'm going to email you later uh, outlining my request of you to give me a U47 for Christmas. Oh, deal. <laughs> a pair. Awesome. You can't just have one. Let's be real. No, you got, you got to have a pair. <laughs> well, how okay, you, awesome. How do you all think we did answering these questions? I think, they're, I think they're fun questions that we could apply to anybody we meet, you know? And yeah. I don't know about you, but I still get... Twitter pated, I get on site and I'll meet someone pretty special and awesome. And you're standing there kind of with your hand in your hand going, well, now I can't remember what I was going to ask them, you know? Yeah, totally. Maybe, for sure. Maybe right. number two is a little too deep for a first encounter, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, what's your deepest, darkest three? secret? Yes, tell me everything. <laughs>
That's awesome. Well, I'm so excited about having you around, Grace. It's going to be great to continue these conversations. And I just, I know that as we ask these questions of other guests, it's going to be really, really fun to hear what people have to say. So I'm having a blast. I definitely think it'll help grow me and my teams on on what we measure our success by and, and keep us grounded on site because we all have the opportunity to get a swollen head and float away, you know, and, and what are we really serving at the end of the day? What's important? That's awesome. Well, this has been great. I think we're going to we're going to wrap it up for today because we've given so much gold uh, through this conversation that I think anything else we had to say was just going to pale in comparison. So um, for those of you who don't have your tickets yet for our next MXU live event, shame on you, first of all. But second of all, tickets are still available. We have a few more left. Um, We'll be in Anaheim on January 15th. So make sure to go to mxu.rocks and get your tickets now. Um, Spoiler alert, Grace will be in the building. So for those of you who have not met her in person, you'll have a chance for her to ask you our three questions in person. So come with your stories. We're going to, we're going to have to set up a backdrop and an autograph table for Grace. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) A big, big pirate ship in the background. Yeah. That's awesome. And don't forget as always MXU now growing library of content, audio, and uh, we're planning our first, video shoot for lighting content this week so look out for that early next year anything else guys how exciting the team is growing yeah it's I can't awesome wait for 2020 and i hope to meet as many new friends at the mxu event as possible awesome well in the meantime i hope everybody has a merry christmas and just remember some of what we've said today through your sort of chaotic path through the next week or so because um, I know it's going to be stressful but um, at the end of the day I know that the environments that we're trying to create are going to be powerful and meaningful and impactful Um, so I'm excited to hear the stories of how it how it goes awesome all right guys thanks a lot we'll talk to you later